You're a lot of carbon scoring here. Looks like you boys have seen a lot of action. I saw part of the message. He w- I seem to have found it. Before we get to today's carbon scoring episode, uh, there is a Kickstarter that we wanted to tell you about. I'm here with Ben and Aaron. Say hello, guys. Hey. <laughs> um, right before we started recording, I sent a Kickstarter that I recently found over to Ben and Aaron uh, because I wanted to talk about it. It is a book collection, or it's a book uh, collecting the photography of a man named Kim Simmons, who photographed professionally all of the Star Wars action figures that we all grew up with. Uh, That photographer has been putting out volumes of his work that consist of the backs of every action figure you bought. The back card had pictures of other action figures you could buy in ships and toys. And you would get the toy you wanted and flip it over and immediately look at what else they sold. And every picture that was on the back of those is this man, Kim Simmons work. He photographed the, the action figures sometimes just in front of like a colored backdrop. Sometimes he did like action poses with actual backdrops to make the toys look cool. Uh, it's really cool stuff. So this is the the book that is coming out based on this Kickstarter is volume four. I suppose I should tell you the name of the Kickstarter. It's The Man Who Shot Luke Skywalker, Kenner Star Wars Photography, volume four, 1994 to 2000. Kickstarter campaign 2.0. Get that 2.0 in there because uh, that's important. But these are the toys I grew up with, uh, 1994 to 2000. It's the Power of the Force collection, uh, as well as the toy line that came out associated with The Phantom Menace. So uh, in the pictures that are attached with this campaign, I'm looking at C-3PO missing his golden armor. Uh, I'm looking at some really buff Boba Fett and and Luke Skywalker pictures. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, what what do you guys remember about action figures from that era? First of all, you mentioned Luke and Buff Boba. Luke looks like he benches 380. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because that is just the classic upside-down Christmas tree shape of every 90s action figure. Oh, yeah. They, they like, street sharks the heck out of, like, all these guys. <laughs> <laughs> They're, they, 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 we're not the 80s anymore. We have taken a step closer to realism from He-Man. Yeah. It's not realism yet. <laughs> but it's also say, not... I don't know if you've seen the new He-Man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, this is, I think it's just really, really fun. Um, they've got pictures of Qui-Gon in here taking apart battle droids. Um, there's a, a really cool spread of the cantina. Um, there's a really cool spread of all of the... Return of the Jedi action figures fighting over the Sarlacc pit. Can I just say, as someone who didn't really collect these toys as a kid and who is more into the collection of these uh, figures now as an adult, as more of a like a set piece than a toy to play with, it's really cool to see these presented in the style that 
was popular when they came out. It's cool to see them advertised like late 90s, early 2000s toys. It, it kind of hits the Star Wars nostalgia and the 90s nostalgia at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, if you're looking at the price of vintage uh, action figures on eBay nowadays, um, I think you uh, a, a separate path you can take is instead of buying the vintage action figures on eBay at those prices, you can buy pictures of the vintage action figures. <laughs> <laughs> and these come with their own stylized backgrounds. <laughs> and yeah, as as far as we can tell, Kim Simmons is the guy who's been doing this type of photography. This has been his work since day one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just going off the Kickstarter about the creator section, it says Kim Simmons, Cincinnati, Ohio. Kim D.M. Simmons is one of the original photographers for Kenner Toys in the 80s and 90s, as well as Hasbro up through 2000. His books, Kenner Star Wars Photography Volume 1, 1977 to 1979, Kenner Star Wars Photography Volume 2, 1980 to 1982, and Kenner Star Wars Photography Volume 3, 1983 to 1985, feature photos of Kenner's original Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, Power of the Force, Ewoks, Android Toy Lines. The upcoming Volume 4 in the series is the final book in the series and will feature photographs from 1994 to 2000. So that's pretty much everything we said. Uh, it says here, the man who shot LukeSkywalker.com. So be sure to go visit them there and uh, check this Kickstarter out and tell them we sent you. And if uh, you're finding this podcast because uh, you found it through Kim Simmons' site, uh, welcome to Carbon Scoring. Uh, we hope you enjoy three friends from high school talking about the Star Wars movies. We have plenty to say. <laughs> we do. Yeah, we definitely do. From all of us here at Carbon Scoring, we wish well to the people making this book and the Kickstarter. I hope it's a success. Uh, enjoy this episode of Carbon Scoring. Hey! Hey! A lot of carbon scoring here. Looks like you boys have seen a lot of action. Welcome back to Carbon Scoring. If you are joining us after listening to all of the previous episodes where we talked about the Clone Wars, thanks for sticking with us. If you are uh, joining us after giving all of those uh, episodes a dodge and listening to us talk about the Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, and now you're back for the Revenge of the Sith review, we are glad to have you back. For the people that have just joined in the last couple of episodes and listened to us talk about individual seasons of The Clone Wars, this is going to be an episode where we review the 2005 movie Star Wars Revenge of the Sith. 
if we don't get it done in one episode, uh, we'll make it a two-parter like we did with Attack of the Clones. I've done a whole lot of talking, but I want to introduce my co-hosts and myself. Joining me tonight is Aaron, are you going to kill me? Robertson. Hello there. Ben. Do it. Mackie. Hey, hey. And I, of course, am Taylor. I'm too weak. Ah, ah. Don't kill me, please. Davis. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. It was so Uh, hard for me to hold that while you were doing it. Yeah. Uh, I would say that is the second best line in all of Star Wars. Uh, First is obviously Vader going, what? What? Second is Palpatine laying on his back going, oh oh no, please, I'm just a nest guy. Don't kill me. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm too weak. Uh, Oh, don't kill me. Please. I didn't mean it. I'll put the Republic back. (laughs) <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with the, you know, do it, like, as number two. Do it. That's fair. That's that's a good one. Nike liked it. Wow. Ha. Ha. <laughs> you could honestly put a lot of Ian McDermott's Palpatine quotes up into your Star Wars top ten, though. That's no, true. That's very true. He's having a Love great it. time making this movie. He is. Oh, um, yeah. He reveled in the uh, game of like, am I a, am I secretly a bad guy? Who can tell in Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones? Mm-hmm. But in this one, just ev- everything uh, comes off all the uh, the cats out of the bag. Uh, it's him. He's the bad guy. And here's he's here to be the bad guy. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. Before we dive off into Revenge of the Sith, though, we typically open up the show with a brief discussion on Star Wars, pop news, pop culture, uh, stuff going on. Anything that you two are aware of? Uh, are you, uh, Star Wars Eclipse. Oh, yeah. We've heard a little bit about that, yeah. Yeah. They released a trailer. I would say we've heard not a bit about it, uh, but we saw some really cool visuals. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm excited. Like, it... Uh, another Star Wars game. Well, I, I've heard some discourse back and forth about the studio chosen and the head developer to create the game. I don't know anything about these guys. This is all very new information to me, so I don't want to try to parse it to everybody out there, but apparently the uh, specifically the head developer, but the studio in general, don't have the best reputation. Oh, But, you know, like I said, this is all stuff that I'm just hearing about for the first time in the last couple of days, so I haven't really gone in. I'm not familiar with who these guys are to begin with, but it seems like it's not maybe the best thing if you are. Okay. Well, I mean, if your alternative is EA. (laughs) Yeah. This is very true. Jumping out of the kettle into the fire. I, I've got to say, I really don't play anymore because it's almost unplayable at this point. But as, as someone who was a very big fan of Overwatch, um, yeah. yeah, sometimes sometimes you'd rather not know everything about the people who make your favorite material. Exactly. And, you know, another thing is, you know, it's not Ubisoft. Yeah. But yeah, Eclipse looks cool. I watched that trailer and... While there's a bunch of cool imagery in it, uh, they don't really give you anything of what's going on with the story, other than maybe 
the bad guys like drums. I mean, I like drums. Like, I right. like those drums. Maybe those are the good guys. Who can tell? But, like, there are some guys in that trailer that like drums. Uh, I'll throw the trailer that we're talking about for this game, Star Wars Eclipse, into the show notes. I do appreciate, though, it's very much, it, it draws you to it. You're forced to kind of, like, guess what the game's about. And that's, that's, that's kind of what trailer trailers are all about, you know? That's true. Um, there's, man... This is a whole conversation I can go into uh, about how trailers can either be something that give you everything and ruin the movie or give you nothing. But also trailers can straight up lie to you like we found in all of the movies in the sequel trilogy. There were scenes in every (laughs) single sequel trilogy trailer that were not anywhere in the movies. And I I was grumpy about that. But... (laughs) Other news that I saw today, I'm not sure of the uh, reliability of this site because I only saw this story shared once, uh, and it was by a website called InsideTheMagic.com, but uh, Hmm. they report that uh, Harrison Ford has apparently uh, inked a deal to return to the Star Wars franchise. They did not say where or when or in what medium uh, or what what story but harrison ford's apparently going to come back and do something i saw a snippet about that as well and i don't know if it was the same website or not but um i suppose it's possible yeah um i mean he could be doing something animated uh they got billy d williams in there and several other people uh in some of the animated stuff he could be doing some sort of de-aging face thing like they did in Marvel. Oh, like the weird mocap thing they did with Luke in The Mandalorian? No, that was bad. Um, I mean, it was <laughs> I, I know, the that's worst. What I, I, was, but... I was being nice. I... <laughs> um... <laughs> Me being nice, you know, who would have thunk? <laughs> no, um, the... More closely, I would say, to what they do with Robert Downey Jr. and Michael Douglas in the Marvel movies. And uh, I think they did it really well. When they did it with Luke in The Mandalorian, it was not great. Um, What I can say is I think they're planning to touch that up further uh, and make it look a little bit better. Because I saw a story where they hired the... There was a kid on uh, online that did a cleaned up version of it. And was like, look, what Disney did not do. Look how bad Disney did this job. And look how good I did it. And I think Disney hired that kid. So maybe we'll get a cleaned up version of that on there. Good on him. You kind of see that where like, it's just a short clip where he's in. And not even Disney has infinite animation budget. But yeah, no, it's always nicer to someone comes along and takes a little bit of time and does that. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, that's that's pretty much what I got for Star Wars news. You guys want to dive right into Revenge of the Sith? Heck yeah. Let's do it. And it really does dive right in. It really does. I have notes about the uh, the, <laughs> the opening crawl. It opens up with war. And then, uh, I, I don't have the exact quote, but it goes on a little bit about the war. And then says, there are heroes on both sides. And, like, really? Where are the heroes on the bad guy's side? Like, are there heroes that I don't know about? Or is it talking about, like, there are dread military leaders on the bad on the bad guy's side? 
Right, is Admiral Trench supposed to be considered a hero just because he's won a lot of battles? Mm. Right. Probably. The second or third sentence of the opening crawl references there are heroes on both sides. <laughs> and I was like, huh? But then the next line is, evil is everywhere. And I wrote down that it sounds like Anakin wrote this. <laughs> we really ripped into uh, Attack of the Clones pretty good, and I feel like it's worth saying that I had to do my watch-through for this in two sittings, because mm-hmm. the first scene, about 25-30 minutes in, that Anakin and Padme have a bunch of dialogue with each other, I had to turn it off. Ah. He went, no, I just love you so much, and I went, pause, nah, we're finishing this later. <laughs> So you're saying you've been blinded? Love has blinded you? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to say, Hayden Christensen's performance was a lot better in Revenge of the Sith. He he went in and out of like the weird cadence that he was doing. Uh, like Lindy brought it up that she was like, he's almost trying to copy Ewan McGregor and how he's trying, to, like what he's doing and how he's speaking at times. Their scenes together in this are... Uh, some of the better acting that we get from Hayden in this trilogy and the fact that uh, in his reprisal of Vader in the Kenobi miniseries, they're going to be working very closely together and they're going to be working with uh, a better director and better dialogue has me really excited for that. Well, what I'm excited for Kenobi also is I think a, they already have, you know, they're friends. They see what they have Yes. They're f- who are friends in the Kenobi Ewan show? and Hayden. Okay, the the two actors. I thought you meant Obi-Wan and Vader, and I was like, no, they're not. They're not on good terms. <laughs> not so much. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Yes. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's just like, I think we'll get a better performance. Like, I already liked Ewan's performance already. Um, I, I haven't really had a problem with him. Uh, but... I think Hayden will also go better performance, so I'm excited to see it. Like, you know, I'm, you know, I saw there was an improvement between two and three with his acting and his dialogue. He did a lot better, so I will say that I won't rag on Hayden Christensen in episode three. What I what I can As say bad. for it also is we're living in a period now where Star Wars content is coming out pretty frequently. Back then, you got a new Star Wars movie every three years and they honestly did take time to sit in the success of the current movie for a bit and get feedback from the audiences on what they liked what they didn't like that's why we never saw jar jar do much ever again the audiences were like get rid of him and george was like oh but i like him a little bit and the audiences were like no no more of him and he's like all right all right (laughs) and Um, then dave filoni was like hey i put him in clone wars are you happy george (laughs) Uh, George was like, well, I guess you guys aren't ready for this yet, but your kids are going to love it. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, uh, he, I think, maybe even had some time to listen to the critiques given to the acting in two and the critiques of Hayden's acting. And George may have even had time to sit on that and be like, wow, maybe I shouldn't show up day of and change <laughs> change lines in the script 
on the fly and and just let my actors like know what they're going to do. Maybe I'll do that a little bit. Oh no, I know that he brought Spielberg in on this project and Spielberg helped do some stuff and get some people for Revenge of the Sith to help him like him, uh, help George improve the film. Yeah, yeah, that checks out. Um but we're we're on to um actor uh opinions already. Uh to bring it back into the the movie itself. Uh, I know we're stepping back just a bit, but that opening bit after the crawl, um, it opens with those drums. And just the war going on over all of Coruscant. And it's one continuous shot from the start of, uh, well, I guess... I timed it from the start of um, the crawl, but that shot goes two minutes and 16 seconds by my count of one continuous shot following Obi-Wan and Anakin as they fly through the Battle of Coruscant. Yeah. And it's huge. And we kind of talked about in, in the past where multiple CGI models are all happening at the same time, you tend to lose things a little bit and maybe the animation isn't as good when there's a bunch of different things happening, doesn't happen here. Mm-mm. You see the, an improvement in technology between episodes two and three. They have a lot more movement. A lot of the ships are like, you know, blasting apart. There's dogfights happening in the background. Like yeah. there's much more, I would say, happening in episode three than there was in episode two. Yeah, that's fair. And, and definitely in the first, in the first five minutes. Mm-hmm. We we have that whole opening scene. Uh, we get some... I mean, you th- try to put yourself in a space of remembering what Star Wars was like before we had the Clone Wars content. And for a while, all we had of the Clone Wars was the battle on Geonosis at the end of 2 and the battle above Coruscant at the beginning of 3. And you could just imagine what the Clone Wars were like in between there because that was all we had. And... Yeah. Uh, they really go to some lengths to try to paint a picture of what the Clone Wars could have been like through the relationships that the Jedi have with the clones, um, through some of the bizarre technology that's going on with the different ships and stuff. And, uh, you know, Anakin sees his group under fire and Anakin says he's going to go help them. Obi-Wan says, no, they've got their job to do. Uh, you've got yours. Stay on it, and uh, yeah, we've we've just got this uh, these relationships between the Jedi and their clones that we did not have at the end of two, where it, it was just run of the mill clones running around helping the Jedi. And you get some uh, some good dialogue later on in the movie. It's just small snippets; they never play a big part. But you get good indicators through that movie that they're there's trying they're trying to imply the trust between the clones and the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the other thing is we get the introduction of um, the ARC-170 fighter in that opening bit. It's a brand new fighter that we haven't seen before. That's true. And with it, you like see that dogfight that happens between the droid fighters, because we also got a new droid fighter in this movie. Yeah, you get the, the ARC-170, and then almost immediately after that, I think it might even be the next... Uh, ship you see you get the droid tri-fighter mm-hmm. which is another very interesting looking ship yeah it's like weird 
but we see the like the the ships blow up and you see like chunks of it floating in space and like the yeah pilots. that uh i don't know if it's an homage to the scene in empire strikes back but the arc that they're focusing on and the shot blows up and you see a clone still alive kicking his arms and legs go spinning off into space <laughs> horrifying pressure sealed suits i mean there's good and bad there yeah, he's going to be spinning for a while. <laughs> um, but we, the fight comes inside of the hangar bay of the ship uh, that Grievous is on. Sorry, I guess we haven't really discussed what's going on other than there's a war. Grievous has kidnapped uh, Chancellor Palpatine and is holding him captive aboard his ship. General Grievous, a new character that we've never seen before. Voiced by Matt Woods. Voiced by Matt Woods, yeah, it's a, he does a wonderful job. Uh, very menacing, evil, machine contraption uh, villain. You watch him walk into a room, and at first you're like, that is a droid. But as mm-hmm. he has more lines and the camera focuses on his faceplate or on his uh, innards that are exposed, you can see that he's got organic material inside of him. He's uh, just a cyborg dependent on droid parts and droid upgrades to keep his saggy little organs alive yeah i don't like the phrase saggy little organs (laughs) (laughs) Nah, i mean he he's fine but he's like coughing and wheezing though like when we first meet him he's like but he has that cape he's very he's got a very commanding presence when you know we first meet him yeah um and i can't remember aaron i feel like you're the one that's gonna know this does the Clone Wars ever lean into his cough? Like, the last time we see him, does he receive some wound that sets up his cough in these movies? Or did that not happen? They, they did have to put a thing in, and I, I, I know we just rewatched the whole thing, but I couldn't tell you where it happens. But at some point, he does, uh, uh, Mace Windu crushes him partially. It's in the miniseries is where it originally happened. Yeah. The Tartakovsky stuff? Yes, it's in the miniseries. It's like one of the final episodes. Mace Windu like force crushes him as he's like running away and he pushes him into his ship. It is worth mentioning that at this time, there was a Clone Wars series. Um, it was produced by an artist called Tartakovsky. Um, it ran on comedy. No, it ran on Cartoon Network. And it ran in like three to five minute short bursts. It wasn't collected together into They were like ten no, it was like ten or fifteen minute. It was like a No no no. When when they first started they were like two to three minutes. It wasn't collected into a longer version until years later when they put it out on DVD. When that stuff was happening live, I think maybe right before the show right before episode three dropped in 2005 Mm -hmm. they might have run it all back to back a couple of times but um yeah you'd you'd turn on cartoon network and in the bumper space between shows they'd be like and here's 120 seconds of some star wars and that was the tartakovsky clone wars and if you followed it it ends it leads right into the battle of coruscant um it has everyone rushing to coruscant palpatine gets kidnapped by grievous they introduce grievous he's horrifying and then you get to the movie theater and hear grievous is in in real life 
Which is why it's strange to me that they still have yet to consider the Tartakovsky Clone Wars canon. I haven't rewatched it in a long time, so I can't speak to if there are different characters that experience different things. Like, if I don't know if there's a character that dies in the Tartakovsky stuff that lives in the Clone Wars. Well, Shock T dies, but we know that doesn't matter much. Yeah, Shock T has died like five times. <laughs> it's a brutal life. <laughs> it's rough being Shock T. But yeah, we, uh, we don't immediately meet Grievous. We pretty much go straight into Obi-Wan and Anakin finding Palpatine at the head of the ship. Mm-hmm. Um, they find Palpatine just in his own chair uh, with like dinky little handcuffs and they walk into the room and then the <laughs> they say like are you okay and the only thing that Palpatine says is Count Dooku and they turn around and Count Dooku <laughs> has walked in and uh, Dooku greets them and uh, I noticed that he uh I've heard people complain about the sequel trilogy having Luke refer to his uh, lightsaber as a laser sword. But Mm. at this point, uh, Dooku says, like, gentlemen, let's not embarrass you. Hand over your swords. Yeah. And they, of course, don't. They have a lightsaber fight instead. Okay, before we get into that, I have to stop you because one of the most unintentionally hilarious lines in Star Wars happens in the lead up to this fight. Mm. Because, yeah, Dooku walks in, and everyone draws their blades, and Palpatine is like, be careful, he's a Sith Lord. And Obi-Wan Kenobi turns around, looks Sheev Palpatine straight in the eyes, and says, Sith Lords are our speciality. Shut up! I love Obi-Wan so much, I will defend most of his actions till the day I die. Shut up, Obi-Wan. You have no idea how stupid you look in this second, telling Darth Sidious to his face that you're the best at dealing with Sith Lords. And props to him, props to Sidious for keeping that together, because I would have burst out laughing and blown everything in that second. Yeah. My question, though, is with, like, the title of Sith Lord, can any Sith be a Sith Lord and be, and be master? Can you have a Master Apprentice and they're both Sith Lords? No, technically. But, uh... And that's what I, that's what I thought. Palpatine's like, not giving away the whole game. I think it's a case of us being the viewers, being aware of that and understanding how the Sith work and their intricacies versus in this universe, they have not seen a Sith in over a thousand years. And suddenly there are one or two or maybe three running around. So I think they're just calling them Sith Lords because they're like, there's Sith Lords again, I guess, Uh, instead of like cracking open the tomes and going through them and being like, Obi-Wan, it looks like you've actually only dealt with Sith apprentices. Yeah, well, and even including our knowledge of the Clone Wars in our interpretation of this, which we didn't have at the time, Yoda went to Moriband and learned all about the Rule of Two and the Sith and everything. That happened like three days ago. Mm -hmm. That's true. He hasn't even had time to tell anybody about it if he wanted to. Yeah. I just find it hilarious that they're just like, everybody's a Sith Lord if you're a Sith. 
Yeah. And why not? And then Obi-Wan, specialist in dealing with Sith Lords, gets uh, knocked out and Anakin has to fight on his own. Which is exactly what happened the last time Anakin and uh, Obi-Wan fought Dooku. Obi-Wan ended up laying on the floor in the corner of the room while Anakin continued the fight. But uh, they fight back and forth for a while. Um, Dooku encourages Anakin to lean into the dark side. He says, you have talent, but you're not using it. You know, let your anger take over. It gives you focus. And then I think Anakin pretty much does. Anakin leans into that and immediately bests Dooku. Uh, Mm -hmm. Degloves both of his hands. Like, that's not the right term, but takes both of his hands off. Chopping those fingies uh, off. Yeah, phalanges, <laughs> phalanges everywhere. Oh no, I said thingies. I didn't say phalanges. I know, I'm saying phalanges. <laughs> oh, okay, I thought you were saying I said phalanges. <laughs> no, no. But, um, yeah, that happens, and he, we have Dooku on his knees with uh, his lightsaber and Anakin's both at his neck. Utterly in surprise and shocked. It's true. Yeah, he can't believe he lost this fight. He's a great duelist. He's been dueling for a long time. Uh, He's in complete and utter shock when he's beaten. Uh, And then, to just shrink that shock, uh, his secret master uh, says to this religious warrior in front of him, Oh, good job, Anakin. Kill him. Kill him now. To which Anakin rightly hesitates, but not for very long. That's true. He, uh, Anakin puts up a little bit of a fight and says, you know, it's not the Jedi way. Uh, I shouldn't. And that's where we get that classic line. Ben, you want to? What Do was it. that, Ben? One more time. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it all has off to Christopher Lee, who mm. portrays so much with just his face because there were lines there that George ended up cutting day of and he has to get across just the absolute shock that Palpatine is betraying him but then the complete understanding that of course he's betraying him he's taking Anakin as a an apprentice and Dooku who thought so highly of himself was just a pawn in Palpatine's game this entire time and he gets about that far into processing all of this information before his head is rolling across the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, after that fight, <laughs> Palpatine's handcuffs come off so easy. It's, it's like you he's letting you know that they were toy handcuffs. He gets out of the chair. And my notes say uh, that, you know, just in regards to... Palpatine as a character, he starts immediately giving green flags to the dark side. Uh, He says to Anakin, oh, it was only natural. You wanted revenge. You know, revenge is completely fine. You should seek that out. That's a good thing. Um, He says, remember what you told me uh, about the sand people with your mother? Mm -hmm. And there's a sound as Anakin remembers that and hears this information. You hear a Tusken Raider go, ah. And I've made it headcanon that there was one horribly lost Tusken Raider that got onto the wrong ship and got taken to Coruscant against his will. He got hiding out like, on the invisible hand. He God. runs out and right as he runs into this room, sees 
a, a head on the ground and he's horrified and he just goes Arr! right as uh the, there's Anakin's, an explosion in the distance but no that's Anakin's got flashbacks going on <laughs> exactly and then conveniently to cut palpatine off uh, just in time the ship starts blowing up and they've got to go mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah because everything starts tilting and uh they've got to turn the magnetic field back on and fire the boosters to level it off and they send yep. r2d2 into a pile of droids which i found funny just like plop yeah, yeah that does happen he gets tossed about the hangar a bit <laughs> they have a brief introduction with grievous um he says to anakin you know i thought someone with your reputation would be older and anakin says i thought you would be taller <laughs> and just because of that one line we have every plot contrivance related to Grievous and Anakin throughout the entirety of the Clone Wars series because they aren't allowed to see each other. Mm-hmm. So Grievous immediately gets out of there. The ship starts to crash. Anakin and Palpatine and Obi-Wan are falling down an elevator shaft, running down an elevator shaft. Uh, they meet back up with R2. They're doing their best to get out of there, but... Um, the ship breaks apart in as it's coming into atmosphere. There's a pretty good line about, I think Obi-Wan says, can you fly this? And Obi or, and Anakin says, do you mean, can I land what's left of this ship? And that pretty much sums up what's going on. We are still flying half a ship. Yeah, and I love how Anakin's like, we lost something, and like half the ship just breaks off. Yeah, the they ent- lose the back. I hear Stern just snaps. And he's like... We lost something. <laughs> it's like, oh dang, my side view mirror fell off when it's actually yeah. the entire backseat of your car. But we've never seen anything do re-entry in the Star Wars universe. This is the first time I think we've seen it. At least in this dramatic of a fashion. We also are seeing for pretty much the first time um, non-military like emergency response. Uh, there yeah. are firefighter ships that come flying up there, and I'm pretty sure there are ships that come flying up alongside it and like fire harpoons into it, and they mm-hmm. guide it into the uh, landing mm-hmm. area that they end up landing in, and that is pretty dope. Yeah, it was a neat thing to see that. That I mean, of course, a military is way bigger than the people you put on the front lines, so of course you'd have clones running all that kind of stuff too. Yeah. Well, the other thing is like we see more of course on this way. You know, we see more ships. And, like, the different layout of it. That's true. Um, <laughs> it's a jump, but my next note just says Anakin's not excited about kids. <laughs> <laughs> um, they go from here to, I believe, one of the Senate buildings. And they yep. successfully present Palpatine back to wherever he's supposed to be. He's not kidnapped anymore. Palpatine tells Mace Windu, hey, guess what? Count Dooku's dead. That's great. The The news is essentially the president of the opposing side's army has been defeated. Now a head general has stepped up into the leadership role. So all we have to do is find and defeat General Grievous, and this war should be over. And this scene just reads weird. We talk about Hayden Christensen having tr- some trouble acting, but this scene ah. delivery from uh, Samuel Jackson is just weird and heavy handed where he's like talking to Palpatine and he's like, well, then we will make 
Finding and killing General Grievous, our number one priority. It does go to show that when highly respected, highly talented, seasoned actors are having a hard time with this, that no one's going to do especially well. Outside of Christopher Lee, Ian McDermott, Ewan McGregor, who really Mm -hmm. got the point from day one and just ignored most of the direction they were given... Every other actor in this, and there are some great ones, they they come off a little flat. Mm-hmm. You know, as Taylor's note pointed out, we find out that Padme is pregnant, and Anakin's just like, "Oh, oh yeah, that's good. Oh yeah." He uh, uh. he he has a reaction that should get him slapped. She's like, "Anakin, guess what? We're pregnant." And he like takes a second and like clenches his jaw and like looks down at the ground and is like, "I'm so happy." Yeah. That's great news. Uh, uh. But I secretly <laughs> hate children. Uh, I'll just uh, go I, merge some kids I don't know. I think yeah. <laughs> I think part of it is also that he is fearful of the Jedi finding out about this. Yeah. Um, I do think just... that's supposed to be his immediate reaction is yeah, a, a little sense of nervousness at the minimum, if not a little bit of fear. That's fair. Uh, but really though, at this point, like, yeah, Anakin is, he hasn't fallen yet, but he's being heavily influenced by the dark side. So of course, a little trepidation and a little fear and anxiety is going to creep into whatever his other responses to that would be. So after we get do this part, does it doesn't it cut to Anakin in where does it cut to? Well, it cuts from here just to let you know that the dark side is in full motion, moving straight ahead. You cut from here to a scene of Grievous talking to Palpatine on a hollow board and at this early point of the movie palpatine already tells grievous that the war is coming to an end it's going to be over soon and to move all of the separatist leaders to mustafar that's pretty much all that happens in that scene and then we cut from there over to anakin having a dream of padme's death Mm -hmm. so it's showing us that the dark side is in full swing it's got its power it's doing its stuff Anakin is being affected. He's having these horrible dreams. He's afraid that Padme is going to die in childbirth. He wakes up and tells her about it. Um, But that's a scene of Anakin talking to Padme. So like Aaron, I didn't pay the best attention and I didn't make any notes there. (laughs) But um, (laughs) Anakin is in distress. You get the basics. It's the same kind of dreams that he had about his mother uh, so he's really concerned about it. And you, you talk about them wanting to show the dark side in full motion. We go straight from that. So yeah, you get... He he contacts Grievous, tells them to move. Then Anakin wakes up from this dream. And then he immediately... The next thing we see is he receives a request for his presence from the Chancellor. And the Chancellor is like... I have appointed you to be my representative on the Jedi Council, which is just not a thing that is actually meant to happen. Yeah, he he makes that position up just to drive a wedge between Anakin and the Jedi. He Palpatine, who is Supreme Chancellor of the Senate, asks 
Anakin to be his personal representative on the Jedi Council, which Anakin is not a member of, meaning that to be on the Council, you have to be a Jedi Master. So Anakin's all excited and is like, well, that means they'll make me a Jedi Master. That's great. That's so cool. That's what I want to be. And he goes to the Jedi and is like, hey, guess what? Palpatine wants me to be his representative on the Jedi Council. And through this scene, the Jedi are so accurately aware of how messed up that is. Um, they call yeah. it disturbing, uh, just from a political point of view of like, you aren't a part of this functioning body. You don't need a representative on it. You don't need to understand things from it. Um, this is, you know, you're getting into business that is not yours. And all of the Jedi are functioning on that wavelength. And one of them is like, right, you're on this council, or Mace Windu is like, yeah, that's what we're concerned about. You're not a Jedi Master. You can sit back down now. And Anakin absorbs nothing from this meeting except for... I'm not a master. You are not a Jedi master. <laughs> it's it's literally not about him. It's about like, wow, Palpatine is really messed up. I can't believe he would do that. Obviously, you're not a master yet, Anakin. Sit down. And Anakin's like, mm, you guys don't like me. Yeah. Well, Mace Windu's never been a fan of him, though. True. Didn't like him from day one. The Council, uh, they, none of them do a very good job communicating, I think, what really is going on with Anakin here. Like, they don't stop and kind of meet him halfway and be like, look, you know, we, we get it. You're a good Jedi. You're a talented Jedi. This is a weird thing, so we want to kind of roll with it a little bit. But they, they just immediately dismiss his concerns instead of trying to address yep. any of it. Yeah, it's frustrating. They're like, you're not supposed to have attachments, but they are not like, hey, you're having a problem with this. Let's talk about it. Like normal and caring and concerning people it's really well put in a scene that happens right before this actually anakin goes to yoda and asks him a couple of questions about premonitions and about visions and yoda gives him advice on what's going on but if you watch that scene yoda is technically right from like an academic or like theologic point of view the things that yoda says to anakin are conceptually right but anakin is having a horrible horrible day he's he is visibly upset he's asking for help from a religious leader uh his yeah. mentor and uh yoda does not meet him halfway he's talking about like f the fear of losing loved ones and instead of talking with him about fear and and losing loved ones and things like that, Yoda's on him with advice about uh, you have to prepare yourself to let go of everything you've ever loved. So both Yoda's on this level of like providing spiritual advice when Anakin yeah. is like, how do I not get angry and kill everyone? <laughs> I, I honestly felt like it was like Yoda being like, hey, we know about your wife, like, hey man, that's gonna, you know, eventually not be a thing anymore. I think it's a moment for Yoda to show compassion and understanding and sympathy to Anakin, and he whiffs it. 
He's not yeah. focusing on relationships with people. And so he just whiffs the ball on that. Uh, whereas Anakin, after this scene, goes straight to Palpatine, who just stokes the fire in Anakin. Palpatine is like, oh, why would the Jedi not make you a master? You're so smart and brave and strong, and you're the best Jedi ever, and there's even a prophecy about you. How foolish of the Jedi. They must not trust you. And just drives this wedge between Anakin and the Jedi even further. And as that scene ends, we get a really good silhouette of Palpatine walking next to Anakin, and it's just very, very similar to the silhouettes of Emperor Palpatine walking next to Vader from the classic trilogy. Yeah. Well, one thing I, I noticed, Anakin, uh, during an earlier scene when he had the dreams, Anakin rejected Pabe's comfort initially. He was like, no, you don't understand. Yeah, he's like accepting nothing from her he's going to protect her she is like don't worry i promise i won't die in childbirth and he's like i promise you you're never gonna die ever and she's <laughs> like, like all right that's that's a lot but i don't think you he's, can do that it's like i'll dig you up and frankenstein the hell out of you <laughs> nobody seems to catch any of this anakin does this yeah. about once a week <laughs> and no one seems to figure it out well, I think Anakin, you know, is trying. Is In this movie, we see it a lot. He's, like, very much trying. And it's very much kind of like the Jedi Council just being, like, just falling just too short. Yeah. We, we run into it in a bit, but, like, ah, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, the, the, the next thing that happens is Obi-Wan goes to Anakin and asks him to spy on Palpatine. Anakin is like, that's a crappy thing to do. Why would I do that? I'm not going to do that. And Obi-Wan is like, I'm not the one asking you to do this. It's from the council. The council wants you to do this. We're not asking you to do this in a session because we don't want this on the minutes. But the, the head of the Senate wants insider information on the Jedi Council. So you're going to tell us what's going on with the head of the Senate. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you pointed out just now. Is there someone just, like, recording all of these meetings? Is there, like, a digital archive, a backup, just in case? Like, if Probably. you were dwelling on your thoughts elsewhere, as they say, and you forgot what Mace Windu said, can you go back and watch the meeting again and be like, oh, yeah, okay, that's what I gotta go do? I mean, later when they watch the security footage, there's the hollow footage of Anakin going through the temple. So, theoretically there's there's at least cameras everywhere so yeah and yeah you know it makes sense that that room the jedi council chamber has a big recording thing in it because they're all able to like hollow skype call in and sit in their chairs like in the like kieri mundi when he says his line about what about the wookies he's a hollow version of himself sitting in his chair so yeah. for that ability to happen, that means that that whole room must be rigged for recording as well. That would be my thinking. This is yeah. These are the deep dive questions you get answered on carbon scoring, folks. I was going to say either <laughs> that or there is a stenographer who's always just slightly out of frame. That's fair. That's what uh, That was the entire purpose of that one Jedi that only shows up in Phantom Menace 
who is like just a long elderly snake. Oh yeah, <laughs> what is his name? The um the Jedi who kind of looks like I guess like a snake is Opo uh Rancis? That sounds right. Yeah, Opo Rancis. Yeah, that's him. He's a snake, but at the very end of him, he's just like an old man. I typed in furry snake Jedi, and I regret some of the um, <laughs> some of the results I got. Sure. So thanks for being right about that. Oh boy! But uh, moving forward from there, the next scene that happens is um, Obi Wan, Mace, and Yoda are all in a transport ship flying through Coruscant with the door open, uh, having a conversation about Anakin. They don't say any names in that scene, and I almost... Because there are two clone troopers standing right behind them. You, You couldn't help but hear what's going on in there, so I don't know if the Jedi are just entirely unconcerned by them, or if they specifically avoid Palpatine and Anakin's names because... They are in such close proximity to troopers, but it's That's just true. a weird thing to have to look at after the fact. They talk a lot about uh, the prophecy in this scene, and yeah. is Anakin not the chosen one that was supposed to bring balance to the Force? And uh, Yoda even comments that maybe this is a prophecy we misread, and... Honestly, the prophecy hasn't been explored in Star Wars stuff since then. And it, it got me thinking, what if we know that the, the, the Acolyte is going to be hundreds of years before this? What if the Acolyte is a story where we get some more information on the prophecy? Oh, that could be cool. What if we get more information on Plagueis? I would be excited to see any information about other Sith Lords. He'd be hundreds of years old. I mean, remember, he was able to keep himself alive for a while. That's fair, that's fair. He, uh, Yeah, I guess if he was able to do that, he could be hundreds of years old. Mm-hmm. I mean, Yoda's hundreds of years old. Right, but that could be his species thing, which I guess we don't know anything about... Uh, uh, Pelagius's species. Yeah. So yeah, they land. They drop Yoda off. He meets with Captain Tarful and gets on his ship and leaves. Um, we have more scenes of Anakin and Padme talking to each other, and then we have Anakin going to the water ballet scene to bring up Pelagius. This is the scene where he's discussed. Um, Anakin comes running to Palpatine and is like, hey, you said to come see this weird water ballet with you? And uh, Palpatine acts so nice to him with all of his friends around. And it's like, oh, yes, Anakin, come in, come sit down, blah, 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 it's good to see you. And uh, Palpatine turns to the government official sitting next to him and just goes, leave us. I know, it's 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 really weird. It's a command. It is, because like, I wrote a note on that. Are they, like... Sith, like kind of like what we saw in like one of the newer the the last Star Wars movie. I don't think so. Okay. Well, you've you've got Masameda there with him, who is he's like the speaker of the Senate. He's a big important government official, but he's not force sensitive at all. He's not a, a Sith. 
I didn't mean like a Sith, but like kind of like the people who serve the Sith. Yeah, I mean he he has Sith cultists that it's been expanded upon. He has Sith cultists already at this time, but I don't think those people are. I think they're just important government people. Okay. Yeah. Also, Taylor, you can cut this if you want, but you keep saying Pelagius. Yeah, uh, it's Pelagius. Pelagius is the Mad Emperor from the Elder Scrolls games. Where it was oh. Plagueis. <laughs> yep, yep, that's what's happened. Plagueis. I'm going to throw in a couple of times here. Plagueis. Plagueis. Pelagius. Plagueis. Now I can edit those. <laughs> <laughs> well, he he also tells Anakin to search his feelings. And he kind of starts, like, starts in on, like, oh, search your feelings. And, you know, uh, you know, I know stuff also about the Jedi... He does. He uses a lot of very coded language in this scene. Yeah. He immediately is. He he's talking to Anakin, and this is just another scene where he is driving a wedge between Anakin and the Jedi. Uh, he's finding things that Anakin cares about and making it to look like the Jedi hate those things when they don't. Um, and Palpatine is like, "Did they decide to have you go get General Grievous?" And Anakin's like, no. And uh, Palpatine goes, well, then they don't trust you, do they? And Palpatine goes, no, I guess not. Or I'm sorry, Anakin goes, no, I guess not. And Palpatine has this line that's like, bam, 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 where uh, Palpatine says, or he asks, he finds out that Anakin is spying on him. He, he says, does, uh, are they, did they ask you to spy on me? And Anakin says he doesn't know what to say. And Palpatine is like, well, they have no respect for you. And that's when um, Palpatine hits him with a, well, they have no respect for you or the Senate or the Republic or democracy for that matter. So he takes this, this grain that Anakin gives him of maybe the Jedi don't trust me. And he takes it all the way to, wow, they must hate democracy. Mm-hmm. Well, what I think I love about that, though, that scene is Anakin's like a little boy when he's caught. He's like, uh, 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 yeah, they, they did. Yeah, he doesn't know what to say. I can't imagine a, uh, the idea of a politician extrapolating on the tiniest little bit of information to come up with some entirely concocted uh, fear-mongering story in order to convince someone to their side. I know, right? I don't think that would ever happen in real life. Only in the movies. Just just to build off of that, one of the next things that made it into my notes that Palpatine says to Anakin, uh, Palpatine's talking about the Jedi, the Sith, they're basically the same thing. And Anakin's like, no, the Jedi are good. And Palpatine says, Anakin... Uh, good is just a point of view and it's like buddy red flags <laughs> look yeah. look for the red flags this person just told you that good is just a point of view you're you're being played my friend mm-hmm. but yeah all of this happens and that's when we walk into the darth plagueis the or the tragedy of darth plagueis speech uh i think we all have had the opportunity to talk on this infinitely in the years since online but um aaron your thoughts on the darth plagueis speech 
I mean, it's kind of a brilliant move. This whole conversation is by Palpatine. This it's conversational chess. He starts off with little bitty red flags. Okay, that didn't set anything off. Now here's a bigger red flag. He got away with saying uh, that good is just a point of view. And he's like, well, Anakin didn't really agree with me on that, but he's still sitting here talking to me. So he kind of takes a second, he collects his thoughts, weighs it in his mind, and then decides, yeah, no, we're good, we can go for it here. And just waves the biggest, reddest flag he can manage to come up with, short of saying, I am a Sith Lord. Which he basically does a few minutes later. Yeah, when he's like, I killed. Like, when his, you know, he like smiles when he's like, his apprentice killed him. You know, which I'm just like, and he's just like got this like, like I did it grin. Oh yeah, the end of that speech, the the beginning of that speech is very literary, like he's telling an ancient story. But by the end of that speech, you can tell he is talking about the man who trained him, and that when his apprentice killed him, uh, Palpatine is that apprentice that killed his master. He's talking about how foolish he was and he was killed in his sleep by his apprentice and just like we've talked about oh go ahead he specifically points out when he's saying all that uh he foolishly taught his apprentice all he knew everything everything he knew so anakin's like oh you know how to use this power that i desperately want now he's only revealing all this because he knows he's got anakin firmly on the hook yeah, it's yeah. it's what cult it's what cult leaders do to get people in. Like literally, this is Palpatine is like doing the old like, "Hey, want to join my cult? Gonna follow me? Gonna do all the things I say? I have this magical magical thing that might work." And, and he brings it all the way up to the tipping point of saying that he's a Sith. He brings it to Anakin asks, "Is that some?" Uh, uh, what does he ask? Is that something I can... Is it possible to learn this power? Yes, thank you. Is it possible to learn this power? And uh, Palpatine turns and says, not from a Jedi. And we hard cut to Kashyyyk. So, real quick before we move on from that, sorry. You, you, my opinion here, which eh, may be right, may not. In my opinion, this is the moment Anakin actually fell to the dark side we've seen flashes it's been working on him all this and that and obviously later in the film we will get the moment where he pledges and all this type of stuff in his heart of hearts at this point he is no longer a jedi he has fallen all that is left is for his brain to catch up i i want to counter that i think this is the proper burial of the seed like the seed has been like planted it's getting light it's been watered like this is where like anakin either can nurture the dark side in this moment or he cannot but like the dark side seed has been planted in anakin is what i would say in this that's fair and i i think that's probably a more popular interpretation of that scene I just think, and yeah, again, this could be, it's a 2005 movie, and we're here 16 years later with plenty of time to reflect (laughs) on it, and seven seasons of a series to expand on it, so I could just be adding knowledge that wasn't in the scene at the time. 
But to me, it feels reinterpreted. It feels like this is the moment. Well, what I because like there's other things that goes on to the movies because like I have a big point for when he pledges that makes a lot of sense. So okay. I'm, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm okay. excited. I'm excited because like this like I want I want to lead that up. We're gonna cut to Kashyyyk, but like I feel like this is where it's planted. Like I like you know the idea where he falls here, but like with how I saw it, it was like Anakin very much. Um, had the seed planted, he willingly accepted the seed, was like, okay, sure, like, I'll take it, and we'll see what happens. I like to think about this scene from a point of view of, it ends so close to revealing the Palpatine's a Sith, it ends with him saying, not from a Jedi, and we flash straight to Kashyyyk, but you know that, like, Anakin hung out in that booth for the rest of the night, and so Anakin was like, okay, well then... Who do I learn it from that's not a Jedi? And Palpatine's like, oh, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Let's get some popcorn. We'll, we'll, we'll continue this conversation later in my office. Just enjoy the water ballet. I'm done. I'm done being mysterious and cagey now. <laughs> Just enjoy the show. Ridiculous bit of trivia. That water ballet is, uh, <laughs> it is being performed by Mon Calamari, who are, of course, oh. the uh, the squid people from Moncala, and it is yeah. called Squid Lake. Huh. Oh, nice. They are doing a Star Wars performance of Swan Lake in the background. I love it. <laughs> there is something very interesting about this scene that I will talk about later. Um, okay. Stay tuned. No, not in this episode, because it's actually referenced in a different movie and i'll discuss it when we get to that movie but for now uh we go to kashik um straight into the battle of kaichiriho kaichiriho beach brave of you to attempt that pronunciation <laughs> thank you um it it goes really to it, it goes right into the beach and it's showing us stuff we see luminara unduly She's down on the beachfront helping direct troops and stuff, and then we never see her again. We ultimately know her fate from further Star Wars media, but uh, it, I always thought it was weird that they showed her on Kashyyyk, but then never showed her again in the rest of the movie. She can be pretty hard to miss, honestly. Yeah. Or pretty easy to miss, yeah. I mean. They, um clone unit that's there you get some cool like the beginnings early form of like uh imperial scout trooper armor and you also get the only clones we see and the entire everything of clone wars that are in actual camouflage oh yeah their their clone armor is painted camouflage they are members of the uh 41st scout division within the 41st elite corps which Luminara Unduli is in charge of. And it's yeah. just kind of a cool... I mean, it was definitely, oh, we'll put these guys in camouflage so we sell a bunch of action figures. But it was cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and it, it's another point where they show how Star Wars gets from A to B. We've got all of these special scout clone troopers that have very, very, very close to the exact same helmet type as the scout troopers that we see in Revenge of the... No, in Return of the Jedi. Um, 
but yeah, the we we only get a few brief couple of scenes with the Wookiees getting ready for the fight before the battle begins. Um, and then it happens really quickly. A trooper walks up to Yoda and is like, hey, the droids are firing up their generators. And in the next scene, here come all of the droids and all of the Wookiees are on the beach ready to fight them. And it hits and it's a battle. Um, droids are blowing up. Wookiees are exploding and dying. Um, one Wookiee swings in and lets us know that the Tarzan call exists in Star Wars. <laughs> Always throws me off when I hear that. Yeah. <laughs> I think what I love about Kashyyyk is that we, again, get new machinery and new tech introduced. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we see those cool uh, corporate alliance tanks that are basically just a big wheel with a tread around it and then some guns on the side. The super tanks. I love me a super tank. Yeah. Pretty neat. And Kashyyyk is a, a planet that George had in mind all the way back in the 70s. It's in his original notes. Um, it eventually became Endor in his original trilogy, but Kashyyyk is something he was working on early. Um, it's in the Star Wars Holiday Special because the one time that they talked to George while working on that project, they were like, you got any ideas to share? And he was like, here's some concept art of a place called Kashyyyk. It's where Chewbacca's from. And they yeah. were like, great, thanks, we're leaving. And he was like, hold on, what are you going to do with my stuff? And then the entire Star Wars Holiday Special happened. But uh... <laughs> So what I'm getting from what you just said there is we have these early scout troopers on this early Endor planet. They really should have taken some more notes while they were there. Yep. <laughs> Honestly. Uh, but at the time, they were working on the same side as the uh, furry native species. That's true. <laughs> this time. We cut from here to Anakin and Obi-Wan having their final conversation as friends. Uh, Obi-Wan is preparing to go and confront General Grievous on Utapau. Uh, and I love that this scene starts with them walking and you can see Cody and another trooper in the background, yes. like playing charades, like okay. someone is hitting the punchline of like a really good joke. And Cody like has his arms spread and he's like waving them. But, uh, you only see that for like a second or two and then they move forward and <sighs> It's it's a sweet scene, it's a nice scene, it's another scene that you watch and you realize that George just struggles when it comes to positive interpersonal relationship conversation. Mm. Obi-Wan at one point while talking to him is like, Anakin, I have known you since you were a child. He said, says, Anakin, I have trained you since you were a child. You are like a brother to me. And it's just wooden and not something that it feels like a person would say to another person uh yeah. but that scene ends with uh obi-wan standing in the light on the bridge and anakin standing in the shadows foreshadowing both of their turns and uh they tell each other uh may the force be with you and they part and this and, and uh, obi-wan even says goodbye my friend and yeah. this is the last time that they that they have together on friendly terms. But not the last time Obi-Wan gets the high ground. 
actually, I thought Anakin had the high ground there. Yeah, Obi-Wan's definitely walking down a road. Alright, never mind, cut that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think what I appreciate though is Obi-Wan is being sweet. He's like because he, he does that like stiff line, but then he's like, You're also a really good Jedi Knight. You've you've done some like you know, he's like, You've done some great stuff. You're really good at what you do. I'm yeah. proud of you. He says, I'm proud of you, and you're going to be an even better Jedi Knight than I will be. Yeah. He's like, you're going to surpass me. You're going to be amazing. And it's like, I felt like those lines were delivered well. Um, yeah. It wasn't like, you know, hard, but I felt the like... The whole scene's not a loss. Just one yeah. or two of the lines at the beginning. And yeah, Obi-Wan it delivers like, you are such a good Jedi. It would be so painfully and devastatingly ironic if you were for some reason to turn out to be evil thank goodness that's not going to happen though right buddy right right (laughs) right and then that's what happens well it's kind of like that hey i very much love you and care for you and i think that's we don't get i don't i don't say we get get to see like anakin be thankful for that because he's like may may the force be with you like very much a you know, I want to say I love you, but I'm going to say may the force be with you. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll acknowledge that Obi-Wan says all of this sweet stuff and then just turns on the spot and walks down the ramp to the ship. <laughs> like, and I've said my piece. I'm I'm socially awkward. Now I'm leaving. And Anakin calls out to him and says, Master, may the force be with you. And that's when Obi-Wan says, goodbye, my friend. May the force be with you. Yeah. And, uh... Let me see. We go from there to... We go to Utapau. Well, I don't think we go straight to Utapau because there is one more dream sequence of uh, of Obi-Wan is present at Padme's birth death in Anakin's dream. And he comes to sitting on Padme's couch like with a PlayStation PSP in his hand. And, uh, immediately, immediately after this very sweet scene with Obi-Wan has a really aggressive scene with Padme where he's like, I don't need Obi-Wan. Was Obi-Wan here? He, we, I don't know if we can trust him. He's, he's mean. Yeah. Well, it's, it's Obi-Wan saying goodbye to Padme. He's like, Hey, I'm going to be gone for a while. I know what y'all are doing. I love you guys. Please be safe while I'm gone. Yeah, I mean... It does serve to show the conflict in Anakin, and again, with my theory that he's already fallen at this point, uh, he his brain, he wants to still trust Obi-Wan. He wants to believe that Obi-Wan's a good guy, but the dark side has pulled on him too hard, and he just can't bring himself to fully do it. Yeah, that, that makes sense. We then get to Utapau. Obi-Wan arrives. Um, we get a pretty sweet look at his uh, Jedi Starfighter attaching to its ring. Which now has three times as many engines. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, did you guys notice like the little like droid lights that were next to it? Yeah. Yeah, and they just get like lost floating in space, sort of. Well, no, 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 they tilt towards Obi-Wan. So at first they're not facing him, they tilt towards him, and they go red, red, yellow, yellow, green, and then he 
lights. Uh, and then they f- nice. they turn back towards where the ring was. Yeah, I just noticed them sort of that makes floating sense. there cool. after it's all done. Mm-hmm. Um, Ob- Obi-Wan lands on Utapal uh, in reference to another cool planet with another cool set of locations. Um, this sort of Swiss cheese earth crust planet that has all of these holes that go deep inside of it. And uh, Obi-Wan flies down into one of these holes and the entire rim of this cavern is lined with landing bays. Uh, Some of them look artificial and made of metal and things, but the one that he lands on and and a lot of the architecture appear to be made out of bones of like giant animals. And that's super cool. Yeah, it's almost like uh, the Coruscant pits in Coruscant. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Much more natural looking, but a similar idea. Yeah, Uh, that's a good uh, that's a good comparison. It's another just pit that goes down into a planet. Uh, I actually really like when Obi-Wan gets there and he meets like the local leaders of the planet. Yes. Grievous is not there as a guest. They do their little formalities mm-hmm. and then the the king or president or chancellor or whoever he is, he leans in and he's just like, we're being held hostage. They're on the 10th level. Yeah. yeah. With like thousands of droids. Yeah, he says that as well. Um, that is... Uh, a character called Tion Midan, uh, and he is a... I don't have his species down, but that uh, that character is played by an actor named Bruce Spence, who is also in The Lord of the Rings. He is oh. the Black Lieutenant, or better known as the Mouth of Sauron. Oh! Oh! So that like Sauron is here too. Bah, 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 bah. Uh, that oh. guy is also this alien. What's his name again? Uh, Bruce Spence. It's like Spencer, but without an R. He he apparently is really good at talking with uh, pointy prosthetic teeth in his mouth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, he tells Obi Wan that uh, Grievous is here with thousands of battle droids. They're being held hostage. And Obi-Wan, like, acknowledges this, and he plays it cool, and he says that he'll, uh, uh, he knows what to do, and he'll kill Grievous, and tells him that if you have warriors, now is the time. And he bows to him and goes back to his ship, and, uh, he ends up telling R4 to just fly off and make it look like they went back into space, but he dips under the bridge thing and he stays but i love that there's a little quick scene in there where the uh the person that he met with from the planet walks back to the other speed the other aliens and they're like oh yeah uh is he bringing additional warriors and the main guy is like he didn't say so <laughs> this group walks off and is like, all right, we need to tell all of the warriors to attack General Grievous. And there might be one space wizard that's going to try to fight an entire army. Whatever. We'll follow his lead. <laughs> um, I also want to throw out a note that R5, after getting his head ripped off in the beginning of the movie, has a really sweet copper look to him now. Yeah, yes. he's kind of steampunky looking almost. Yeah, I love it's it. great. I want one. And yeah, I know, uh, right. This is our first our scene of Obi-Wan uh, writing what is called a, I'm going to try this, uh, a Vera 
Avectile. Avectile? Uh, it's this lizard bird thing. I read it as Varactyl. That makes sense. But I saw in multiple places it noted that this one's name was specifically Boga. Boga? B-O-G-A. So uh, it Star Wars doesn't always do that. It usually tells you the species name, but not like the creature's name. So yeah, uh, Obi-Wan hops on Boga, the Varictile and uh takes off and it if you the listener could have heard the first five minutes of aaron ben and myself talking (laughs) on discord before we were recording i would say there was like three minutes of the five minutes were the three of us trying to replicate this creature's noise i think ben you had the best one yeah, probably yeah. You 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 want to give it to us? Oh, oh man, just put it on the spot like that. <laughs> I'll do mine. My mine of mine would be uh oh god, it makes a noise like red. Well, it's I, I'm thinking about it now. It's it does do that, but then it has like a reverb almost on it because it like does like a high pitch kind of like like it's almost like a bird like noise. Yeah, it's it's definitely some. It, it's it seems like a noise that like an ostrich would make. Yeah, it's like a and then it like and then it like reverbs with that high note, and it's just like doing that constantly. And I'm like thinking, how is Obi Wan being stealthy on this stupid yeah. loud bird lizard lizard thing? That is also like part like Labrador, because it also while like holding and and waiting for obi-wan it's panting and going like ha, 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 ha. and when it runs it's like a dog chasing a ball obi-wan is on a stealth mission here and he picks a giant bird lizard squawking labrador animal to ride around on and bless him for it somehow yep. it works he does get the drop on grievous mm-hmm. and we get yet another meme hello there General Kenobi. <laughs> yeah, um, this is where uh, Obi Wan sneaks in. He sees all of the. Er, he sees uh, Grievous address all of the leaders of the Confederacy. He tells them that he is moving them all to Mustafar. It's a uh, volcanic planet. The volcanic planet. Uh, the Viceroy of the Trade Federation says that with Count Dooku dead, he doesn't have a lot of faith that General Grievous is going to be able to take care of them. And Grievous just laughs. <laughs> and we, the viewers, just laugh as well. And they leave, and that is where we get this, the very quotable scene, where Obi-Wan considers all of his options and decides that the best one is just to jump down into the middle of this huge group of battle droids and say, Hello there. Hello there. I love it. They do have a really good fight, but this is another one that going back to it with all the knowledge that we now have is really weird. Why does Grievous tell him that I have been trained in your Jedi arts by Count Dooku when uh, Dooku's dead and they've fought each other a few times before? I think because, A, Dooku always beat Obi-Wan and... I think he's just trying to be like, I am, I'm good. I've gotten better, you know. I've gotten better would have been a better line, I think. But again, it's retrospect that we didn't have at the time. 
yeah, it's, you know, we got more lore and it kind of contradicted some stuff and put some plot holes into things. This is just what Star Wars does, though. They retcon things and, you know, honestly, for everything they added, they did a surprisingly good job of keeping most of the continuity very close together. Oh, yeah. And I th- I think, you know, it's like I very much loved Grievous because it's like, who is this guy? He is cool as hell, and then, you know, he, like, then reaches into his his cloak and pulls out four lightsabers and starts, like, turning into a Transformer, and then now has four <laughs> arms with, with four lightsabers. And you're, I'm just, like, I remember being, I was 14, I skipped school to go see this movie, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I want more of him. Decepticons. Yeah. <laughs> so your Transformer line kind of cracked me up there, but it's not wrong. It, Grievous was cool when we first saw him. Like, well, he busts him out and he starts. He puts the two up in front of him and starts doing the big spin that he keeps hitting the floor and that, throwing That was really yeah. cool. In my notes, it says, "In my notes, it says Grievous gives Obi Wan the spins." Uh, <laughs> Obi Wan not at all impressed by this, though. No, no, he. Obi-Wan's not impressed by a lot. He manages to take two of Grievous's four hands off in about 90 seconds. Mm-hmm. Did he cut both of them off? I thought he just disarmed one and cut no, the other one No, two of them got cut complete, completely off. Okay. I was going between complete and clean, and it came out complete. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that um, this duel is then interrupted by the 212th showing up mm-hmm. uh, battleships uh, clone trooper transports ships firing the entire cave system is now full of clones invading mm-hmm. and it's an entire battle instead of one duel and uh, Grievous takes this time to run away and get on a giant big wheel and try to run Obi-Wan over with it. I like to call it the Death Wheel. That's an accurate name for it. Because it's, like, got those spikes on it and those two massive cannons. It's such a weird thing, too, because he gets on it, and it's got, like, legs, and it's running towards him. Then yeah. he jumps out a window and starts going downhill, and then the legs tuck in, and then the wheels start spinning. I'm wondering if it was a droid prototype. Ooh. Because, like, I'm wondering if they they put a seat on it because Grievous saw it and it was like, oh, I like this thing. Like, it's a prototype. We need to test it. That makes sense. I mean, it's kind of a, it's a larger scale, but you could look at it as a B2 droidica hybrid. Mm-hmm. I wonder if anything out there goes into more detail on that that we've missed. Maybe. I can assure you that it does. <laughs> As someone who has looked into Star Wars things before, if you are curious if the minutia that you noticed in the background of a scene, if does that have a story? It does. Just go to Wikipedia. They there is an entire character plot for the skull that Luke Skywalker throws at the door that shuts and kills the Rancor. That is oh, wow. a named man who has a story about wow. ending up in the Sarlacc pit. It wouldn't be the Rancor pit. If you notice it in Star Wars, it's got a backstory. <laughs> Neat. Um, but 
this this fight goes on. We have a big chase scene where Obi-Wan hops on the back of Boga, uh, but he loses his lightsaber. It gets kicked out of his hand uh, and falls stories and stories down and lands right at the feet of Commander Cody. Terribly convenient. Mm-hmm. This carries us forward into a scene where Commander Cody is updating the Jedi. Uh, I, I believe this is one of the scenes that was tied into the final series of the Clone Wars, where when mm-hmm. this scene ends, the a scene in Clone Wars picks up yeah. right with it. Yeah, Windu and some of the other masters yes. are taking yes, yes, this yes. call, and you even see Cody kind of flicker out in the Clone Wars episode as Ahsoka walks in to the very end of that conversation. Yeah, because the next thing that happens in that conversation is Mace turns to Anakin and is like, this is important news. Please go tell Palpatine. So Anakin leaves. And when Anakin leaves, the next thing, this is one of those points where you see that the Jedi have failed and you're like, how did you guys fail? You were so close and so right. Mace turns to the rest of the Jedis and says the words, I sense a plot to destroy the Jedi. The dark side of the Force surrounds the Chancellor. Mm-hmm. Like, guys, the the vice top number two Jedi on the Jedi Council senses a plot to destroy the Jedi. The dark side of the Force surrounds the Chancellor. <laughs> Move on that, please. Do something. <laughs> Or, like, why isn't Mace Windu talking to Anakin? He's like, hey, I got a bad feeling about this. I want to talk to you. Has the Chancellor said anything recently that would, you know, make, you know, fit this? He gets that opportunity in a couple scenes, and I'll go off on that then. But... Yeah, but I'm, I'm just saying it's just showing that Mace has such disdain for Anakin. Yeah, he really doesn't trust him at this point either. Oh, yeah cannot stand Anakin gets yeah. him out of there first thing in the scene. Mm-hmm. But Kiati Mundi is like, we got to fight this war. And everybody's like, yeah, all right. Kiati Mundi's right. We should finish this war. Apparently Obi-Wan has killed Grievous. Maybe we've ended the war and it cuts away from there. Uh, they agree that they will finish the war. And then if the Supreme chancellor does not give up all of his emergency powers, they will have to arrest him. And that's some logic straight out of the governing bodies of Germany right before they fell to Hitler. Like we've voted away all of our emergency powers in a time of crisis to one person on the promise that he returned powers as soon as the emergency is over. Hitler, ancient Rome, uh, Nero, all when you've got a fascist promising you power and that he will give it back. Definitely not getting that back. Yeah. Never giving it back. Exactly. It usually turns into, you know, a giant universe empire. We go straight to the horse's mouth and we follow Anakin to Palpatine, uh, delivering the news that general Grievous has been killed. And we didn't really talk about it, but Palpatine is the one who leaked the information to the Jedi where Grievous was. So he is just cleaning up the entire multi-system war that he has run for five years, both sides of it. Uh, He has had Dooku killed. He has had Grievous killed. uh, He's got the rest of the uh, Separatist leadership sitting on Mustafar, just waiting 
and Anakin comes in and tells him that Grievous has been killed, and he... Uh, I didn't think Grievous was killed yet on screen. Oh, has Grievous not been killed yet? Yep, Grievous has not been killed yet, you're no, right. No, it's like they found Grievous on Utapau, yeah. and there's been a battle that's been engaged. Yes. He, Obi-Wan has engaged Grievous in battle, that's what they say, my apologies. But Palpatine goes into... Oh, I can't believe they sent Obi-Wan to fight him. They should have sent yeah. you. You're such a good fighter. Come. <laughs> I, I have in my notes, Palpatine is like, Come, walk with me through my Sith trophy room. Past yeah, all of my yeah, Sith yeah. artwork. Yeah. I have something, I have a secret to tell you. I love that Anakin's also complaining in the scene. He's like, I wish I knew why I was not in the Jedi Council. It's like, you got a wife. And you hang out with the Chancellor. All the time. Um, I feel like and uh, like Palpatine is dragging him through that. Anytime Anakin complains about stuff, it's because Palpatine is like, please, please, tell me more of the things that you care about. Why? Oh, yes, it is terrible. But yeah, this is this is where we get the scene that Palpatine comes clean and puts all of his cards on the table and tells Anakin that he is the Sith Lord. This is where Aaron, you're. Uh, Would you are like you going to, to kill, kill me? me now? Scene comes from. He he straight up. Anakin ignites <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> his lightsaber. He's like, "You're the Sith Lord. I got to do something about this." And he says, "Are you going to kill me?" And Anakin is like, "I would very much like to." And he gives this creepy low. I know. He like he is. He he knows he's won at this point, or that he's he's gonna get Anakin. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, he's like, he's like, basically, be like, come serve me, don't serve the Jedi. They won't let you have a wife, you know. And I'm just like, he's just saying like all the things that Anakin wants to hear, and I'm just like, Anakin, just poke him in the face with with your lightsaber, just like real quick. He straight up says. You know, I, I, I can help you with the visions and your wife doesn't have to die. And Anakin has never explicitly told him about either of those things. No. Yeah. Like, that is unrevealed yeah. information Come that he has just pulled on. out of Anakin's brain. And Anakin catches that and is like, whoa, 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 whoa. But the enticement of the trap, the the threat of losing Padme is too much and even though he sees this red flag and understands it for what it is he falls for it anyway because he wants to he he doesn't even know that he's fallen for it yet because what he says to palpatine is basically i'm gonna go turn you in i'm gonna go tell the jedi council and palpatine's reaction is like sure you go do that he's like yes that's what you should do yeah I was watching this scene and I was thinking about the question of the week that we're going to eventually answer later in this episode is, is uh, what is the best duel in Star Wars? And I was watching this scene and Anakin gets his lightsaber out and I was like, could this be considered a duel? It's not a lightsaber Mm. fight, but Anakin's ready for it to be. And instead of lightsaber fighting him, Palpatine knows that Anakin could kill him with his lightsaber so palpatine sticks to his words that he knows anakin is a sucker at and uh he ends their conversation with the words know the power of the dark side 
power to save Padme. And it's just Palpatine sitting on the exact information he knows will control Anakin. It's a grooming and manipulating situation. That's what's going on. Oh, 100%. Well, then we get thrown back to uh, Obi-Wan and Grievous. They're still fighting. Mm-hmm. We do. They are still chasing each other. I like to imagine that, like, it's a darker scene now. It looks like it's nighttime. I like to imagine that Grievous and Obi-Wan have been chasing each other around this civilization for hours. Just <laughs> smashing things and running things over and driving their big wheel and their giant dog lizard bird just through people's businesses and across rooftops. They have hit every fruit and vegetable stand on the planet of Utapau. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, they finally make it to where Grievous is fleeing to, which is the location of his ship. And they have their final fight. Obi-Wan opens up General Grievous's chest plate. And mm -hmm. they, they, they both get some really good hits in there. Well, hold on. Because there's one thing that happens in this fight that cracks me up every time. Hmm. Obi-Wan tries to leg kick General Grievous. Oh, yeah. And just goes oh, yeah. shin to shin with Durasteel and, like, almost falls over from pain, which is accurate. Which, like, Grievous, I think, laughs at him. He's like, yeah. ha, 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 ha. He's like, oh, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> it just cracks me up every time because he just thunk. Ah! Yeah. He falls and rolls, and, and Grievous is chuckling to himself. Um,. But yeah, they, they roll around. They both get some good kicks in. Obi-Wan opens his chest plate. Uh, Grievous then, like, boot kicks uh, Obi-Wan, like, 30 feet into the air. Mm -hmm. They fight, they punch, they roll, and it ends with Obi-Wan hanging off the side of a cliff. He reaches a blaster. Grievous is approaching, and he shoots and kills Grievous. It's almost like Grievous's internal organs were, like, made of sulfur, because yeah. once they ignite, they're like a fire happening. Mm -hmm. And uh, we get uh, a reference to the Alec Guinness line about lightsabers being a more civilized weapon. Obi-Wan tosses the blaster to the side and says, So uncivilized. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. Such a cheeky delivery. Uh, Ewan McGregor knows yeah. exactly what that line is, and he I like to imagine he nailed it on the first take. Yeah. Oh, sure. Absolutely. So uncivilized. I thought it was funny because, like, Grievous was also making kung fu noises in that fight. Is he? Yeah, because when they go fist fight, he's like, make, making all these noises, and I'm just like... Did, did did George ask Matt when he was recording that, being like, all right, you guys are going to be fist fighting in this part of the scene. I need you to make like, some kung fu noises. Like, Can you do that? I'll have to go watch that again because I always just assumed they were like weird machine noises, like his arms spinning or something. But that's, that's hilarious. I noticed some really weird sound effects in that scene too because I was watching it and having watched Grievous in the Clone Wars animation so much where they're just, you know, manipulating a digital object, he's all over the place, which he is in this too, but he's fighting a real person. Uh, but it's weird. He's just sloppy. I don't know if he's tired or 
what but like they he's rolling around on the ground at one point he's like off balance and there i remember specifically weird sound effects that were like machinery popping like boing bang ping like when he was moving around but well we talk all the time about how their emotions affect a jedi's performance grievous might be mostly machine but he's still a, a, a sentient alien person and like he's not having a great day his yep. his attempt to kidnap the chancellor failed embarrassingly the political leader of his faction died he suddenly finds himself in charge of all of this stuff that he never wanted to be in charge of he's not a uh counselor or a chairperson or whatever he's a general he doesn't want to run the show he wants to fight the war so he's probably yeah he probably is a little off balance with everything that's going on and (laughs) he's probably also overconfident because he's fought obi-wan a bunch of times and now this time it is just him and obi-wan yeah it's true and they did have a questionably long chess uh chase scene also mm-hmm. true. It is probably not easy to prolonged drive a Tismeu T S M E U is the word. Tismeu six personal wheel bike. Nice. Which is the name of what that's called, I looked up. Interesting. So th- this happens, Grievous is dead. We cut back to Anakin arriving to a hangar and telling Mace that he has just found out that Palpatine is secretly the Sith Lord that they've been looking for. And Mace Windu, whose previous scene contained the words, I sense a plot to destroy the Jedi, the dark side is swirling around the Chancellor. Mace Windu has the balls to be surprised by this. Like, He's in mid-walk and stops moving, and he's like, what? Anakin says, I think Palpatine might be a Sith Lord. And Mace stops and turns and goes, a Sith Lord? And then has like three or four follow-up questions. And like you were saying earlier, Ben, Mace had all of this time to probe Anakin and learn, you know, we were suspicious of Palpatine. But did he do any of that? No. And when all of the things pointed at Palpatine being a Sith Lord when he is finally told that he is a Sith Lord. All of your feelings are correct. Mace Windu is like, what? Did not see that coming. Yeah. But he then just, I think, to characterize not only what happens to the Jedi, but some of the problems that they had as a group anyway. uh, Mace says, we must move quickly if the Jedi Order is to survive. And then turns and does not move quickly. Proceeds to move very slowly at a like casual saunter down from this hangar and is like, that's terrible. The Sith Lord? Oh no. Continues at a stroll through this hangar. Doesn't send a message. Doesn't even break into a run. No. I did notice a really weird scene. So there, Anakin is like let me come with you and mace windu is like no i'm gonna get a couple of guys together and we're gonna go arrest palpatine there is a really weird like two second long clip where anakin says i must go master and mace says no 
And it looks like the audio on that scene was redone because their lips don't quite match up with what they're saying. And it looks like there was a different line there. And there was probably a different entire scene there that maybe had a little bit more gravity to it. Maybe Mace Windu was in a bit of a hurry, but they shortened it to, I must go master. No. So I could be wrong on that, but to me, it looked like a little bit of a changed redubbed scene. Mace Windu hops into Mace Windu leaves this scene and hops into a ship with all of the Jedi that he goes to arrest Palpatine with. He grabs Masters Kit Fisto, Agen Kolar, and Sacy Tin, who are arguably three of the best duelists specifically in the Jedi Order. You take the four yeah. people in that gunship, you add Obi-Wan and Anakin, and you have the best lightsaber duelists that the Jedi can offer. I am aware of Kit Fisto and Sacy Tin, but I don't know Agen Kolar. Agen Kolar is the, uh, he is a male Zabrak, so he's the one yep. who's kind of brownish skin with very small horns. Oh. Mm-hmm. Like Darth yeah, okay. Maul if Darth Maul took a chill pill. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Mace gets into a ship with these the Jedi and leaves and goes to arrest Palpatine. And what I don't get is we have an entire scene of Anakin, like, running home. Or he, he goes, uh, Mace Windu tells him to go to the Jedi council chambers and just wait there you are too closely tied to this to the chancellor you're too emotional it would be bad to have you there anakin does that it's a good call he honestly is too involved no one kept an eye on him like no one was like hey i want you to go and talk to somebody i want you to go and you know kind of like you know not have this anxiety because like the Jedi Council is very much like Anakin's anxious and like scared through this like whole thing, and like no one's like calming him down. Yeah, it, it, yeah. he points out that his judgment is clouded by fear, but nobody assuages that at all. Yeah, they're just like stop that. The one person that could make him feel better, the one person that could calm him down, is the person that he is thinking about in this scene, Padme, who he's not allowed to be with. And we get this. I like this scene a lot. It's weird. It's creepy. It's, it's got some it's, really weird oh, music to it. The tension building shots are freaking fantastic for this. Also, they sent away Obi Wan. Like Obi Wan is the, the the other person that could calm Anakin down from the situation. Oh, absolutely. It's an issue of Anakin is completely alone, which is nothing but Palpatine manipulation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he doesn't know how to deal with himself alone. He's like, I'm scared. I like, I think he's kind of like scared of his thoughts and scared of like what's going on with him. Yeah, hundred percent. Yep. This again is is my theory that he's already fallen. He just hasn't accepted it. All this dark side noise is happening in his head right now, and all he can do is think about like, wait, no, this isn't good. I shouldn't be feeling like this. Anakin has this whole moment into night where he thinks about it and he stews on it and he thinks about Padme and he finally does decide to run down to his ship, uh, hop in it, and fly over to the council chambers. In all of this time that Anakin has had to go sit and pout and look, Mace Windu and the rest of the troop manages to only beat Anakin there by like 35 seconds. 
they show up and Palpatine, this is something I noticed kind of for the first time on this watching too. Palpatine is so cocky. He's not at his administrative desk when they catch him. He's sitting in his like communications center. Mm-hmm. He is just waiting for them to come so that he can kill them so that he can say execute order 66. He wanted the best view of the hallway, yeah. <laughs> the sooner he takes out the Jedi that could potentially harm him, the sooner he can have the all of the clones do their job. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, Aaron, give us the names one more time of the Jedi that walk into this room. We have, obviously, Master Mace Windu, Kit Fisto, Agen Kalar, and Sacy Tin. And, you know, I I think that uh, we should talk about what happens to them in part two. Yeah, that works for me. If If this is somehow a cliffhanger for you, if you've somehow not seen this before and you are curious to find out what happens to mace windu and the rest of his jedi friends when they enter palpatine's chambers find out next time on carbon scoring don't get your hopes up it's nothing good (laughs) (laughs) aaron we'll open with that next time um but then yeah let's move on to what will surely be a brief and easy conversation the question (laughs) of the week what's your favorite one versus one lightsaber duel we have answers from sarah she says obi-wan and anakin at the end of revenge of the sith absolutely spoilers for this episode sarah Matt says, from a story perspective, Vader and Luke on Bespin. From my mm. childhood perspective, Yoda and Count, Count Dooku. Absolutely. Mm. Both yeah. wonderful answers. He then goes on to say, wait a second, I just remembered Obi-Wan versus Maul, their final battle in the Twin Sons episode. I completely agree. Oh, let's not say a lot about that because that is my answer. So I will have <laughs> got a couple okay. more fan answers and then I will go off on that. And then Lily said the very first saber battle, Obi-Wan versus Vader on the Death Star from A New Hope. And absolutely, you know, for three years of not my life, but for three years of some a lot of people's lives, that was the only lightsaber battle. It was Ben Kenobi versus Vader with those fragile little twinky little dinky sticks. Uh, That was Star Wars lightsaber battles for a generation but yeah, um, that's all of the Facebook answers. And every one of those is a classic battle for a reason. Yeah. A hundred percent. Aaron, you have your answer already. Tell us. Yes, I do. In my humble opinion that I'm now going to present to you as fact, the best <laughs> lightsaber battle that happens in Star Wars happens at the end of the two-part Twin Suns episode of Rebels. Darth mm. Maul finally catches up to Obi-Wan. They quip back and forth a little. They trade some some verbal force jabs. But the entire thing just serves to show that for all his power and for all the moves he made and for for everything Darth Maul has managed to make of himself despite the difficulties that he's endured, he hasn't grown. And Obi-Wan has. 
and they're out in the desert at night. There's just a campfire. The uh, Obi-Wan says something to Maul. It hits a particular nerve. Maul ignites his lightsaber, kicks a bunch of sand onto the fire. Obi-Wan immediately ignites his own lightsaber, so they're just lit by the glow of their blades. They do a little positioning, a little maneuvering. Obi-Wan goes into his old Sarisu stance from mm-hmm. uh, uh, from Episode 1. Phantom Menace. Yep, thank you. There it is. Mm-hmm. From uh, Phantom Menace. And then Maul immediately goes into his stance that he was in in that, and Obi-Wan changes it up. He moves to an Ataru stance. Maul's like, this is perfect. He's going to try and come at me the way Qui-Gon did, and I'm going to kill him just like I killed Qui-Gon. And then the duel starts. There are three blows. Lightsaber blades clack three times, and that's it. And Maul goes for the exact killing move, the the hilt bash to the head, and then he's going to do the spin and stab. But Obi-Wan knows it's coming and just cuts right through the hilt, right down Maul's chest. Maul collapses into Obi-Wan's arms and Obi-Wan has a moment where he gets some form of peace what little he gets in his life and laying down this old enemy of his and just you know this is finally a closed chapter this is something I don't have to do anymore and Maul, who has figured out that Obi-Wan is here protecting Luke, asks, is he the chosen one? Obi-Wan says he is. And Maul's last words are, he will avenge us. And it's such a good fight. Yeah. And then you drive home. This is my further thoughts on that and that episode. It, it comes home that the name of that episode is Twin Sons, and you assumed that it was talking about the Twin Sons of Tatooine, but it is also talking about Obi-Wan and Darth Maul, both people who had plans for their life, had mentors, had mentors uh, that either were killed or abandoned them, and both left useless, floating out in the desert, and I love it. I love mm-hmm. that whole scene very, very much. I am excited to talk about Rebels more in the future. Me too. Ben, do you have your answer in mind, or should I go? Go ahead and go. So, I want to give a special shout-out to The Last Jedi, okay. which had uh, Ray and Kylo fight the Praetorian Guard. Mm-hmm. I give this shout-out, because that was, a great, that was a great fight scene. It yeah. had something in it that I imagined when I was nine years old and I had never seen in a Star Wars movie. And I was like, why does no one do this? Why does no one hold their lightsaber turned off to someone else's head and turn it on and turn it off? That's all you'd have to do. And Kylo does that to one of the Praetorian guards with Luke's lightsaber and in that movie theater, I screamed. That <laughs> happened. It's, it's not a big move. It's in the middle of a fight. The audience was particularly quiet. And just that move happens. And I go, ha! And... <laughs> 
so Taylor, you're that person for somebody from when they saw when you saw the Phantom Menace when he was like, yes, you've become that person. For yeah, somebody. yeah. That guy was excited though. Well, I mean, I was excited too. That guy did a whole show for everybody. I just maybe made someone think like, did that guy have a heart attack? <laughs> <laughs> I was that guy when I saw Pacific Rim in theaters, but that's another mm. story for another time. <laughs> um, that's my special shout out. Uh, the thing, I'll, I'll I'll take the whole uh, sequel trilogy just for the fact that I got to see someone hold a lightsaber to someone's head, turn it on, turn it off, death. Great, thanks. I needed that. Anyway, my real answer would be Luke versus Vader. At the end of Return of the Jedi, Luke with his green lightsaber fighting Vader, he comes into that so confident and so assured of himself. He is a Jedi. He's here to turn his father. And then Vader pisses him off and is like, well, then maybe your sister. And Luke throws off everything that has been shackling him and just screams and runs at Vader and lets loose and takes Vader's hand off. The rest of that movie is the whole rest of that movie, and it's wonderful, but that scene, that lightsaber fight, that was one of my favorites when I was a kid. Yeah. And it was one of the first times, you know, they still had pretty limited visual effects, but we got to see uh, force powers get used during a lightsaber fight. We got that in Empire. A little bit, but we get to see Vader leap a flight of stairs. That's true. And Luke's backflipping all over the place. So those are th- those are my answers. Ben? Um, joke one, because I saw someone mention this on- online um, as a duel, and it made me laugh really hard. Uh, Han Solo versus the Tauntaun. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> and I thought they smelled bad on the outside. <laughs> but I would say Obi-Wan versus Anakin. I remember seeing that and... Um, one of my good friends, Alex Colvin, uh, me and him actually learned the choreography and uh, we basically found these like cardboard tubes from like a construction site for what you use for like the Tyvek paper that goes under uh, like uh, siding. Oh yeah, I know what you mean. And we split one in half because they're massive and we both had one and we learned this, the, the, the fight scene together and would just do this all the time, like after church as kids. And uh, then we went at it for real and just beat the heck out of each other with these things and just like bruises and welts from these like hardware <laughs> <tubes>. <laughs> Yeah. Because we like, we're obsessed with learning the, that kind of that, those intro like uh, technique moves that they use. Wait. Like when they're standing across from each other. So can you still do the Obi Annie spin? Yeah. Wow. And that's, this is something we'll go deeper into when we get into the next episode, an entire conversation on that fight. But what a fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wonderful answer, Ben. The score. 
Oh yeah, we'll, we'll go more detail next week. But oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the music oh. is so good. The score, the piece of music that happens when that fight happens, is called Battle of Battle of the Heroes, and John Williams just bringing it home once again. John Williams, we love you. It's true. <laughs> um, it's the the music that plays during that fight is the music that I always imagined that if I ever do commit and drop the money to buy some sort of nice-looking replica fight-worthy lightsaber, uh, and I'm fighting someone else with it, that's the track I'm putting on for that <laughs> fight. Good plan. Okay. Good plan. Deal. Deal. Carbon scoring fight. <laughs> Listen, we've got our own podcast about Star Wars. I think that uh, we're probably not far away from, from getting... Uh, lightsabers ourselves but uh but i don't think any of us are ready for that commitment if you are a company that would like to sponsor carbon scoring and you produce fight quality lightsabers please get in contact with us we'd love to advertise <laughs> yes. for you cough 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 saber forge in portland like yeah you yeah. guys are awesome <laughs> never mind the fact that we're plugging you for free yeah yeah exactly <laughs> aren't we nice <laughs> i only live three hours north of you let's make a deal oh boy well does that right, uh, does that about wrap us up? I think it does. I would say that it does. Uh, thank you so much for being here and for listening to another episode of Carbon Scoring. Uh, this has been Revenge of the Sith Part 1. Uh, tune in next week, or whatever amount of time it takes me to edit and drop the next episode. Holidays are happening. It's weird. What? Do it's it. true this is probably gonna drop in january so we'll say right now in real time that it is december 16th so whenever this episode airs know that we recorded this on december 16th um and we will do our best to get part two out to you as soon as we can um, if the holidays have already happened for you i hope they were wonderful if they haven't happened for you yet i hope they're wonderful And remember, the Force will be with you, always. Commence primary ignition. Carbon Scoring is a podcast created by Taylor Davis, Ben Mackey, and Aaron Robertson. Special thanks to Nick Parker, a.k.a. Later Hands, for our opening music. And special thanks to August Reed, who created our banner image. Come talk with us by joining our Facebook group, Carbon Scoring, or following us on Reddit at rcarbonscoring. You can also email us directly at carbonscoringpod at gmail.com. That's C-A-R-B-O-N. S-C-O-R-I-N-G-P-O-D at gmail.com. Star Wars was created by George Lucas, its music by John Williams, and is owned by the Walt Disney Company.